Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. We got an interesting one-star review called Another Warrior from Big Dog 17 exclamation mark. She said, I am single for several years now. This podcast helped me understand why I have been so broken after living with gaslighting, serious porn addiction, sexual addiction, lies, cheating, subtle, demeaning, controlling, and narcissistic personality disorder. This man led a secret life, and I continued to be loyal for too long. Thank you for courageously articulating this issue, which now has a name, and affirming my feelings. Keep up your good work. Forget any naysaying. You're doing fantastic work for so many women. So if this is you and you actually intended to do a five-star review, please go back and change it. That would be really nice. But we also appreciate this fantastic one-star review. So thank you, another warrior. We have Miss C back on today's episode. So if you did not hear last week, please go back to last week. Listen to that first and then join us here. We're just going to jump right into our interview. Why do you think victims are so afraid to get help from the police, for example, or from a government agency, CPS, maybe a domestic violence shelter, or maybe, you know, other various and sundry agencies? Why do you think victims are so afraid? To be totally brutally honest, I really believe it's because we definitely don't feel like the government has your back if you are a believer. Okay. So I'm a believer and I have never thought that. So that's why I'm asking. I've been a believer my whole life and I've always been very pro-government, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if I'd say pro-government, but I've always thought, oh, I can call the police. The police will help me. I can go to this agency. This agency will help me. So for me, I did not have that experience. So from your experience, that's what you're saying. Growing up, you thought, oh, this isn't a good idea. They're not going to help me. I think to understand where I come from in that capacity, my parents did foster care my entire life from the time I was like 13 all the way up. And so we had a lot of um, social workers coming in and out of our home, a lot of experience, of course, listening to your parents and dealing with the social workers. And to be really honest, we'd never had a really great experience with social workers. And then my only experience with CPS workers were because of relatives that struggled with addictions and had children taken from them. And so that's on the complete opposite end from where 
I was coming. So in a way, it was probably a little bit naive, thinking that they're just going to make things harder. So I actually took my husband to civil court for two purposes. One was to gain physical and legal custody of my kids. And the other was to impose child support. And I remember when I was appointed a guardian ad litem for the kids because she was going to interview us and talk to us, them separately, then me, and then my ex. And she was going to give recommendations to the court in regards to the civil case. And I remember also feeling fear. Oh my goodness. Like, can I be who I am? Can I speak freely of my faith? Will she deem my faith as crazy and side with my ex? Because I know there are some people that don't believe in a deity. So of course I struggled with that. But again, she ended up being wonderful. So that did not end up being the case. Not even close. That being said, I've never been afraid per se, but I have heard some horror stories, right? Like a, a guardian ad litem who made it worse or a, you know, a custody evaluator. Or, so I have heard horror stories, but I've also heard really great stories. So I think it feels like a crapshoot. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, pray, 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 right? For God to be your warrior, to get the right guardian ad litem, to get the right custody evaluator. Let God be the warrior because the family court system is, is really tricky. It is tricky. And so far, I feel blessed in that capacity. Oh, that's so great. Part of what I'm wondering, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, is this like fear of outside help. I'm wondering if it's part of the way that the abusers isolate their victims. To say, you know, the outside world, perhaps the government, perhaps agencies, perhaps whatever is evil and they're scary and you don't want to get help from them. You don't have anywhere to go. Do you think that was part of it a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I remember when we would talk about getting a divorce, we would talk about a divorce and he would bring up stuff like that. He would talk about how they're not going to understand. They're going to pull our kids in one direction and another direction. And if I dare bring up anything about the pornography, they're going to label him a pervert and like just all these different things. And right away, of course, if you bring anything up that has any impact on the kids, that's going to resonate with me. And being afraid of asking them for help. I wasn't afraid when we had to go to the police. That was a knee-jerk reaction. Almost I knew it was going to be okay when I talked to them. So Miss C has some situations that she can't talk about right now because they're pending, but we will have her back on the podcast when those things are settled to give us an update about what's going on. So if you're kind of like, is there something going on that we didn't hear about or that we don't know? The answer to that is yes. But we can't talk about it now. Well, I think if anything, I probably would want to talk about is that if you are sitting on that cusp and you definitely don't know which way to turn, you feel all alone, you feel full of shame because your husband has repeatedly abused you with porn that you're not alone, that there are other women out there 
there are people who do care and you don't have to sit in the dark by yourself. More than anything, in the darkest times that I had, it may sound cliche and it may sound hard and it may feel weird in the beginning. But you have a father. You don't have to talk in these and those and you don't have to have all the right words to say. But he is your father and you can go to him and you can tell him how awful this is and how much it hurts you and how much you need him. One of the verses that I clung to many, many times was he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And I can't tell you how many times I prayed and I asked him to heal this part of me that was broken. Heal the part of me that sees myself as, as a failure. Heal the part of me that feels ugly and unattractive and jealous of these women who get their attention and he looks at them in a way that he doesn't look at you in a way you can you can ask your father to to help you heal that part and and to bind up the wound that is caused from that because whether you'll choose to admit it or not every time that they take you there whether you find out or whether you don't or you just suspect something is wrong your father's there and he can hear those and he can bind them and he can pull you close and you're not alone you're just not alone real quick before a response there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Here's a five-star review we just received. Short but profound. This is a fantastic book and did a fabulous job of explaining such a heavy and complicated topic in short, easy to understand language. It's a great reference book too, since it has the infographics in the back. Thank you so much for that review. I love reading those. I always really appreciate it. And now back to our interview. I appreciate you saying that. There have been so many times where I have cried and I haven't been able to stop crying You've probably had that experience too, right? Currently speaking, maybe my listeners have heard it in my voice lately, but I'm on uh, Lexapro. <laughs> it's an anti-anxiety, antidepressant medication. And so I'm a little less emotional lately. Um, so I, I don't tear up at all when I'm on this. Normally I'd be like, I know how you feel. I felt that way too. But right now, because of the medication that I'm on currently, I can't cry. But I remember these times where I would just cry and cry and I could not stop. You know, and I go in my closet and I lay in my bed and I, my pillow would just be soaking wet. And I remember not being able to feel comfort from the spirit and praying and praying, you know, Heavenly Father, please help me. Please send someone to help me. And just this black void of nothingness. But I kept praying. I kept reading my scriptures. I kept trying to obey the commandments or obeying the commandments. I kept believing even though, you know, I believe, help thou my unbelief sort of a thing. And the fog did move eventually. You know what that is, though? This is what I found. Those are layers of grief. 
That's why they feel that way. It's just layers upon layers upon layers of grief. And you're not going to feel anything while those layers fall off except grief. It's a part of the healing process. And we mistakenly think God is not near. And it's not. that. That's not true. It's grief. I haven't thought of it that way before. That is a good point. I do know, even though I didn't know to call it grief, that the only way was through it. You couldn't avoid it. You couldn't get around it. I mean, you could watch TV and you could eat a lot of popcorn, which helped, but it really, there wasn't anything that could make it go away. No, because all of those are distractions. We're queens of distraction. Our kids can distract us. Our friends can distract us. The TV can distract us. Our phone can distract us. But you take all of those away, everybody goes to bed. TV gets turned off. There's nothing on your phone that you haven't looked at a bazillion times. And then you're in the dark. And you're alone. Yes. Yeah. And it is awful. With me, when things have been really difficult and I just can't, like, it's so stressful, I medication has helped. I don't have anything clinical going on, but like the year that it was so stressful, I was on medication. I have something going on right now that's also really stressful. And so with the, when I talk about it with my doctor under doctor supervision, decided to go back on an anti-anxiety medication. And it's, it's a catch 22 for me because I still can feel emotion, but I, I'm not as, not as deeply. So I'm very like content and happy and calm most of the time, which is great. But also there's not that level of like, I don't know, depth of like gratitude that I have felt in the past and emotion. So as soon as I make it through this, <laughs> I'm going to go back off. I felt the same way. Like it was actually really explained pretty well to me is that when you go through years and years of abuse, your body learns to run on this flight or fight process, constant, constant, constant. And then when you have peace, like I did when I finally moved away and I had my own space, the peace was just as painful because now my body is still going fight or flight, fight or fight, fight or fight. And I would have anxiety attacks. I would pull up to church and be unable to get out of the car. My kids would go running in. They had their classes. They were excited. I would sit in my car and cry. My family would come out just concerned. And I couldn't tell them anything except this is anxiety. Like I'm having a full-on anxiety attack. And I, I can't stop this. Like I have to just go through this. And it was so hard because I could tell they look at you like you're a little bit nuts. Like they're concerned about you. You're losing it. I'm concerned, you know. But unless you've been on this side of an anxiety attack, you can't even, it's such an out-of-body experience too. Did you ever take or consider anxiety meds? I didn't. What I, I went the natural path and I take what's called Vital Biome. It's a plant-based supplement. It absolutely helps. Yes. <laughs> For us, it's like whatever helps. There was a time where I decided I'm not where I was, I think it was. I don't know, a couple of years ago where I was going through a difficult time. I mean, you, my listeners have heard me go in and out of difficult times this whole time. And I thought, should I go back on medication? And I thought, no, I shouldn't right now. Right now I need to feel this. 
this is the time where I need to experience this. This recent one, I definitely was like, nope, I need to go back on it. So uh, there's no judgment here. It's like whatever you need to do to take care of yourself, right? Self-care so that you can take care of your children, take care of your job, take care of your life. And being gentle with ourselves to make sure that we are healthy is super, super important when we're going through this. God loves us and he will guide and direct you. Yeah, I definitely think one of the other, along with being gentle with yourself about medication, it is also to be brave enough to not necessarily physically walk away because I don't know, you might, you might just get mad and walk away. But in this season, you're going to be hit with loads of advice on how to handle it and how to walk it, how to process it and how it affects your kids. And I remember one of the phraseology I to this day will set me on fire is to not be a victim and don't teach your children to be a victim. You remember that character where he's got flames shooting out of the top of his head? That sets me on fire because to me, whether you like to acknowledge it or not, we are victims. Yes. We're victims. I realize this is a super awkward time to pause the interview. So please stay tuned. I'm going to continue talking with Miss C next week. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 